Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Nerdfest podcast. With us today we have... Kerry Skipson. Peter Johnson. Dan Watkins. I know John Farthing. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one I'm using. (laughs) Today on the show it's a recommendation special and that's it. That's more than enough. We've got loads of cool things to talk about. We have... We've got a cool thing to talk about, haven't we, Dan? We do. We won. We did. We are winners. But in the fact it was a Star Wars quiz, in another more important way, we're losers. <laughs> I prefer to think of us as winners. Yeah. Um, we were going in with a 3-0 undefeated streak. That is now four still unbeaten. And when you say we, who's we? Uh, we is myself, John, and our friend Sean, uh, who joins us for Star Wars quizzes and other Star Wars related things. And having been at one of those Star Wars quizzes with you, when you say, and John? We won by three points, and three was the number of questions John knew the answer to. So without him, we would never have done it. It was an important contribution. Actually, there was one answer that I got that you didn't know. Yes. (laughs) Dan's smile says otherwise. We didn't know it. Were you humouring it? Only, Only John knew it. The lasers from the Death Star. That was maths, actually. Yeah, that's true. I didn't know that. (laughs) anything with numbers and counting Uh, so how many small lasers make up the Death Star super laser and John with his mathematical mind I would have been like X equals uh, algebra no this is complicated (laughs) no it's a trick question there are no lasers Ah." and I would have panicked so John did save us on that one he started crying and then I explained to him the answer and it was all okay again (laughs) (laughs) it was so where was it this was at Bobbix above the punch bowl in Jesmond and Steve, who runs the quizzes there, Hi, Steve. who you can follow on Instagram as Quizzed Steve, he runs a series of pop culture themed quizzes. So there's Star Wars, and there are quizzes coming up about The Simpsons, Futurama, The Office, Parks and Rec. Yes, please. Yes, please to all of those. All of those. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to come. I'm going to come at them. We should probably form a team. Mm. I'm really bad at quizzes, just so you know. But you've, you've adopted his now, so I'm in. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> oh. uh, really good fun. And Steve is a listener to this podcast as well, which means even though we didn't admit it on Tuesday at the Star Wars quiz, he's a big nerd as well. <laughs> he did confess to Googling hard Star Wars quiz and just writing down the answers. That's fine, because it meant we knew the answers. <laughs> so that means if we go to his friend's quiz, we need to Google hard friend's quiz. Potentially, yes. Yeah. We've cracked it now. Um, we can win code. every time. Yeah, he did admit that when it's the Simpsons quiz, he does know a lot about the classic years of the Simpsons, and I did get it confirmed they don't go past season 10. So <laughs> right. um, those are probably genuinely tricky Simpsons questions that you wouldn't get unless you know it really well. We never talked about when the Simpsons became bad, have we? Really? Never. never. Not talked, once on never this mentioned podcast, it, ever. <laughs> did it become bad? Possibly before you were born, Kevis. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as well as doing the Star Wars quiz, Dan, we also had another really exciting nerdy event this week, didn't we? Yeah, we did. There was a BBC comedy festival in Newcastle and some of the cast of Ghosts were there and I geeked out. Oh, you must have been so excited. I was. That wasn't ectoplasm. Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, your, your happy little face in the auditorium 
You could even see it through the mask. It was. I could <laughs> see it through the mask. I, I was like, that's Dan. It was so close to the stage that I turned to Peter and I said, oh my God, I'm close enough to throw something at them. And he said, I thought you liked them. And I said, I do. I do like them. <laughs> uh, I will watch anything that that team of people do. Because oh. they're, they're one of the great comedy troops at they the moment. They were amazing. Horrible Histories, they? Bill, Yonderland, Ghosts, mm. like whatever the next thing is, I'm there. You should probably try and track down Yonderland. I will. If I you was, enjoy Ghosts. I have the DVDs. They were so what funny, weren't they? Brandon? Stop that. Physical <laughs> media will never die. Stop that. Don't make me bring out my iPod. <laughs> yeah, I loved seeing those guys. They were so lovely. Yeah. Uh, Matt Bainton, Ben Wilbond, and. Kyle Smith Bino, just talking about comedy and their careers and bad experiences at the Edinburgh Fringe. I know everybody gets started at the Fringe, but it's always nice to hear successful people talk about shows they did that didn't go well mm-hmm. in Edinburgh. Which thing did you enjoy most from the festival? There were some big names there, weren't yeah, there? Charlie Brooker were. was there. We saw Charlie Brooker interviewed by Ramesh Ranganathan, Greg Davies and Ashatala. I really enjoyed Megan Gans, who's maybe not a household name over here, but um, she's a writer and showrunner on things like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Community, oh, wow. Last oh, wow. Man on Earth, and Mythic Quest, talking about running a writer's room in America, and that was really, really fascinating. Tom Marshall, he was class. I loved how 20 seconds into the interview he said, Gash. Who's Tom Marshall? He's directed some episodes of Space Force and... Ted Lasso. Ted, Lass- Ted Lasso, have you Bam heard Lamb of it? did he do as well? <laughs> so what you're saying, familiar. hang on. So stop it, stop it, John. What you're saying is, I John, was in the no, building John, with John, the man of Ted Lasso. No, stop it. And I... <laughs> you didn't punch he, him. He's still alive. He was... He I was, could have stopped season three. He's, cl- <laughs> he's class. He's so, so class. And he was... Um, he, he ha- it was just nice. Bev and I both came away at the same time saying it was just so nice to see somebody up there who's that successful with our accent for a change because he's from middlesbrough is it yeah and he's also been involved with famalam and i'm a huge huge fan of famalam it's the sketch show isn't it yes they're they're incredible so for him to talk about how they picked out sketches and the process of that that was a lot of fun so i think that was probably my favorite one but it was a great two days and i hope they go and do something similar it's just nice for the BBC to pick somewhere like Newcastle or not London to do a two-day comedy festival with guests of that calibre and panels and talks and things like that. I feel like a poor northerner kind of thanking the corporation for scraps here, but um, you know, usually this sort of stuff is just like, yeah, so we've got this room in Soho and like you're going to have to go to London if you want it. Uh, free, free Greggs. Free Greggs? Free Greggs. That's how you know you're in the northeast. Um, any good films that we're not recommending? Any bad films that we're not recommending? I've not seen much new other than my recommendation, which you'll all enjoy. Well, I enjoy watching <laughs> you squirm. What I realise is I'm so behind and stuff, so I'm like halfway through lots of series and yeah. I'm making a concerted effort to actually... Things like I've not seen the end of Star Trek Discovery. I've not seen the end of Severance yet. Oh. I'm the same. I've got two to go to finish Peacemaker. I've got one Walking Dead left to go. Mm-hmm. I will get to them because I'm enjoying them. It's really tricky to keep up to date with shows, especially when they drop all at once. And you think, oh, I'm already 10 episodes behind. I mean, there's a whole second half of Ozark I haven't watched yet. The whole last season of Killing Eve, there's so many things, like piles and piles of shows. I gave up on Killing Eve. 
watched one of the most well, that is recent my series. This week. Is it? <laughs> oh, well, I'll save that then. <laughs> I mean, this might be a good lead in. So, Kiris, what is your recommendation? Well, John, my recommendation this week is Killing Eve. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really late to Killing Eve, despite how perfect it is for me. This show is about Eve, who works for MI6 and who hunt to track down an assassin called Villanelle. The show has a fantastic dark sense of humour and it's got a fine balance of darkness and wit and every character is amazing. I love the cat and mouse chase where they both become obsessed with each other whilst also knowing that they're quite bad for each other. What I love is the progression of the characters who, when you see them in the first series, are in their before state and how they change to become more like each other and how deeply connected they are. And that's especially interesting for you watching it because most people probably watch the first series when all of the hype was there a few years ago Mm -hmm. and have waited a year or so between each series. But you've had a different, possibly better experience just watching it all in one go and seeing how it develops without those gaps. Yeah. So... Would you would you have enjoyed waiting a year between each series? No, I wouldn't have waited. Right. But what I thought might be interesting, because I don't know if you know, but each show has a different showrunner. Yeah, I did notice that, because the first one is Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. Uh, and, and Emerald Fennell, the Oscar-winning Emerald Fennell, did series two. But which movie was it? Promising Young Woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you watched the whole thing now? Um, on series four now. So the most recent. Three episodes in. And as always, I want to be the baddie. <laughs> but who is the baddie at yeah, that that's, stage? That's what I love. I, I really enjoy stories that don't subscribe to the kind of um, conservative polarisation between good and bad. Because there's a mixture between the two of them. Eve becomes more like Villanelle. Villanelle tries to become more like Eve and she's conflicted. And have you got a preference? Are you a Villanelle or an Eve? Villanelle for sure. I love, oh my God, as well. I love the fashion, every outfit yeah. Villanelle wears. Yeah. yeah, there's a really, really famous pink dress in I, I think it. the second season mm-hmm. that just was everywhere. And of course, it's the show that turned Jodie Comer into a yeah. megastar. It's mm-hmm. such a showcase for her, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The, the way she moves from character to character. Had you seen her in anything she'd done after Killing Eve before you'd seen her in Killing Eve? Because I think most people, unless you're a diehard watcher of Casualty and things like that, Killing Eve's the first time you see I hadn't seen her in anything. And I'm one of the worst people to recommend shows to because the hype of something really puts me off. Mm -hmm. And the hype of Killing Eve had put me off for a long time. When I watched it, I had never seen her in anything else. And then I just got it. I understood what all the fuss was about. It's really nice when you can do that. We did the same with Squid Game. Mm. We heard all of the hype last year, but gave it six months until people weren't talking about it anymore. Managed to avoid the spoilers and had a really, really great time watching it without those expectations in your head. Yeah. Mm. And mm-hmm. it's it's nice when you can do that. And you avoided spoilers. You didn't know anything that was going to happen. I was really lucky to avoid spoilers. Although one thing that I am guilty of is whenever I see an actor that I really like, I'll go on IMDb because I want to find out what else they've been in. Mm. And then that's when you end up unintentionally finding Seeing out... Seeing how many episodes yeah, they've been in. Mm. Yeah, um, so I was looking up a character in Killing Eve, and I wasn't sure whether or not that was a spoiler. 
So I had to stop looking up the the cast. Although I have to admit, my I love Villanelle, and my other favorite character is um, Caroline. I thought you were going to say that Fiona oh, Shaw. Fiona Shaw is an incredible. I just there are no words. She's just immense. Amy met her. What? Last week. She oh my was, God. She was in Edinburgh and she was working from home for a morning and was getting loads of texts from her colleagues saying, Fiona Shaw's here, uh, visiting, looking at the artwork. And she thought, oh, I've missed her. Uh, she walked out of our building and there on our street was Fiona Shaw. Shut up. And they made <laughs> eye contact. They admired each other's coats and they went on their way. Oh, oh that is so Fiona yeah. Shaw. Style icon, <laughs> oh my says God. Amy. Um, I love it. My recollection of it, and this is looking back a little while, is I felt there was a massive drop-off in season three in terms of quality. I admit I haven't seen more than one episode of the most recent series. Really enjoyed one. Two kept me going. Three, I struggled to maintain interest. And we watched one episode of season four. Amy went back to it. I've not found the motivation. So mm. it's interesting watching it all together. I don't know. Do, well, do it, does each think, series feel different? You would notice it more. Yeah. It does feel different. It feels, in some ways, there are things that are consistent with it, and that the characters are so strongly developed. So people like Constantine and how he has this big laugh—that's a consistent character trait. Villanelle and her sense of humour is consistent. They've done that well in that when they put certain characters in certain situations, the characters do respond consistently. However, the momentum of the story was definitely lost in the third series. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that, I, I, don't, I don't know why um, that happens, but that's quite a common issue with series, I think. Particularly the third season or just? In general, series lose momentum and I'm not sure if it's because they want to slow down to focus on something else. If it's the showrunner. Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting. It's sort of something like a will-they-won't-they relationship that Mm. sustained you for the first couple of seasons, you've got to reach a culmination with it at some point, and then it becomes a different show. Or you do something like what Schitt's Creek or Parks and Rec did, and you bring in new characters that revitalise the show, because by season three, you're starting to run out of, Mm -hmm. what can we do with them? You're losing the element of discovery that Mm. you get, maybe in the first season, especially you had quite unique and different characters in Killing Eve. Finding out and learning about Villanelle is, I think, a big part of that first season. Yeah. So later, you you now know what to expect from her. Yes. Mm -hmm. Up to a point, obviously. And similarly with Lost and its flashbacks, by Mm. the third series, those flashbacks were starting to get Mm samey, so they changed it up at the end of season three. And I know John will disagree, but it did (laughs) re-energise the show for the next year or two after that. Unfortunately, there was another year or two after that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought John was just going to leave in silence. Just leave take Lost's name out of your mouth. <laughs> um, I find that with anything that's based on a chase of a fascination of anything cat and mouse, you have to at one point deliver on the promise. Mm-hmm. And then once that's delivered, like for instance, um, the whole first series was about them meeting and then the Met. So where can it go from there? Mm. Yeah. And it sort of swaps them around, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. What, the one who has been the cat is now the mouse yeah. and vice versa. So I think the end of the second series would have been a really good conclusion for that. I think it could have ended there and everybody would have been happy. I'm not sure it needed more. Not everything needs to be so long. No, I mean, we're, we're moving towards shorter things now, aren't we? So, yeah. um, you know, there's the limited one season series where it's written with an ending is mm-hmm. coming back into Vogue and I quite like that. I like it. 
I'm often guilty of thinking, oh, I'll watch a movie. Oh, I'm not in the mood. I'll just watch a five point series instead. (laughs) (laughs) And that for some reason makes logical sense to me. But yeah, I don't think things need to be that long. There's this excellent scene in the first series of Killing Eve, which I think is kind of an excellent mirror image of the whole story where there's a man who is following Villanelle and tracking her down in a club. And then she just turns round and she starts chasing him. And there's that horrible realisation for him of how much danger he's in and how powerful she is. And I think that short scene is the epitome of the whole show. Can I share my really, really nerdy Villanelle trivia? Go for it. Well, when I first heard about Killing Eve and there was a character called Villanelle, I thought, oh, like the poem. Because being a poetry graduate, a villanelle is, I'm going to quote off the internet here because I can't remember how to describe it, a highly structured poem made up of five tercets followed by a quatrain with two repeating rhymes and two refrains. They're really, really hard to put together. Um, Dylan Thomas's Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night is probably the most famous villanelle structured mm. poem. and That would be a Dylanelle. It would be a Dylanelle. <sighs> um, but the fact that the characters called that me thinking in a poetry kind of way thought, okay, right, so she has got a lot of different layers to her. She's an incredibly complex character because you don't call a villanelle if she's straightforward. So I kind of got an insight into her before I'd even mm. watched it mm. just by the name. But I guess if you've never heard of or read or written a villanelle, nope. that might be lost. But you don't actually lose anything in the character. It's not essential to it. But that was a nice little tidbit for me going, mm. oh, I know this. Either the writer's very clever or it's just put L on the end of villain. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the two. <laughs> Which is what I, I assumed it was. But is she a villain? Or is she a tightly structured poem? We will never know. <laughs> I think she's a tightly structured poem. Based on all of the twists and turns her character takes, mm-hmm. she's much more a tightly structured poem than a villain. I'm looking for Kara Starry to confirm or deny that. I think she's a very complicated, hurt person. There you go, John. Tightly structured poem. Yes. (laughs) So how many um, elaborate dresses out of ten would you give? Nine. Nine. That's the Mm. highest I think I've given anything, yeah. And we'll see next time you're on whether that changes after you've watched the finale. Yeah. I'm so excited. And I just can't hide it. Who would like to go next? I'll go next. In this multiverse, you will go next. Yes, I will, because I am going to recommend the best film about the multiverse you'll see this month, uh, or this year, or possibly (laughs) ever. Oh, Ben. Yeah, and this is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, the latest film from Daniels, who last brought us Dan Radcliffe as a farting corpse in Swiss Army Man. This one stars Michelle Yeoh as Evelyn, a woman under a lot of pressure. She's running the family business while trying to organise a party for her disapproving dad who's come over from China. Her husband's unhappy, her relationship with her daughter's strained, possibly breaking, and there's a tax inspector breathing down her neck. And if that wasn't enough, she's visited by a version of her husband from another universe who tells Evelyn the entire multiverse is under threat and only she can learn to verse jump and stop the threat from destroying everything. To tell you anything that happens after this point would be to ruin one of the most original, inventive, exciting, funny, audacious, sensational, brilliant cinema experiences you'll ever have. You simply won't believe some of the things Daniel's come up with as Evelyn jumps between different universes. You might not even believe it as you're seeing it. I lost count of the number of things in the film I could never have imagined. And yet, within the logic of the film, it all seems to make sense. 
It's the joy of watching a movie and just not knowing what the hell is going to happen next. It's amazing. But there's strong characters, there's emotional depth behind it too. I saw it three days before we recorded this, and I can't get it out of my head. I'm still marvelling at it. Michelle Yeoh is amazing in it. She's a legend, so that might go without saying, but the work she does here is just stupendous. And supporting her, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, who is fantastic as the tax inspector, another Hollywood legend, James Hong, as Evelyn's father, and the return to the big screen of Kihui Kwan, who is wonderful as husband Waymond. That is the correct pronunciation. That is short round from the Temple of Doom. (laughs) That is data from the Goonies. He's not been in anything for nearly 40 years. And this film makes you realise how much we must have missed from him because he's brilliant in it. Mm. All I've got left to say is see this film in a cinema because it is everything, everywhere, all at once. And I loved it. Oh, wow. wow. That sounds amazing. I've seen the trailer, which I only saw this morning, and it looked like exactly my sort of film. It's odd because it has some quite impressive looking effects, and yet overall it seems to have the feel of an indie film. Is that a thing that goes yeah. through the movie? Um, very much so. It sounds like their VFX department was just a few people who did incredible work on limited budget. For the fight coordinators and stunt coordinators, they looked at people on the internet and got them to come in. So (laughs) it's got this really independent feel to it. Mm. And I think a lot of my favourite films are either ones that struggled with their budget, but looked and felt like blockbusters, like the original Star Wars. You know, a lot of the costumes and the makeup and things in the first Star Wars were things falling apart because they didn't have the money for it. Or films with bigger budgets that had to compromise because everything kept going wrong, like Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And this has got that classic feel of they've pulled something together. They haven't had hundreds of millions of dollars to pour into this. So they've done the absolute best they can and it's better for it. And it kind of forced them to a forms of invention and coming up with new visual things rather than just relying on CGI effects. Absolutely. Yeah. I prefer films with low budget in the effects department because they put more into the story and the script and I typically don't enjoy movies that are heavy on special effects. I mean, obviously the point of comparison to this is uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which Mm -hmm. I think did come out the same day. It was certainly in the same week. Uh, It was a week before over here. I think Everything Everywhere came out a couple of weeks before Doctor Strange Mm -hmm. in the US. Right. But that does certainly kind of devolve into a CGI fest of lots of people with big sparkly things coming from their hands against lots of other people with a different coloured sparkly things on their hands. And you kind of wish for something surprising in a way that CG tends to not surprise you because it's not amazing when it does something. Yeah. Because it can do anything, nothing amazes you. And I think as a point of comparison, for me, there is no comparison (laughs) between these two. Right. I found Doctor Mm -hmm. Strange's multiverse to be limited and uninteresting and like you said a cgi mess it wasn't very multiverse it wasn't very mad but the multiverse and everything everywhere is completely unexpected totally crazy goes for every single genre every single style and it just made marvel's multiverse look really dull in comparison (laughs) and watching doctor strange and i felt this with the loki series and what if and spider-man no way home I thought, "Mm, I don't know if I like multiverses. Actually, what I didn't like was Marvel's idea of the multiverse. This is full of beautiful, ridiculous things that I'd never seen before, and it's exactly what you want from a film about the multiverse. 
Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Mm. It is. So do we know why Short Round hasn't been on our screens for the last however many decades? Yeah, he did an interview with the Empire podcast recently. And basically in the 80s and the 90s, he just couldn't get any roles as a young Asian man in Hollywood. Mm. So he gave up on acting. He went behind the camera. He worked as a fight coordinator, did a lot of work with Wong Kar Wai mm-hmm. and Tony Leung and people like that. So he was working in film still, but he wasn't in front of the camera. And more recently, he'd been debating whether he wanted to try and get back into it. I'm summarizing his interview here, sorry. Uh, he had a chat with an agent friend of his who said, yeah, I'll, I'll represent you. We'll see what's out there. A couple of weeks later, he got a call from Daniels saying, we've got this film. We'd love for you to come and audition for it and be one of the leads. He read the script, burst into tears because of how perfect it was for him. Went to the audition, thought, I've ruined it. I've got no chance. And he got the part and he's oh, and he man. was back but was so nervous because he hadn't been on that side of the camera for decades and it took jamie lee curtis who according to key sits at the monitors whenever she's not filming she doesn't go to a trailer she watches everything that's being filmed she watched him do a scene gave him a massive hug told him that he was doing really well and from that he got his confidence back Oh, well enough over here. But yeah, um, he is fantastic. There are things he does in this film. And again, I can't tell you anything because it's just so not what you could ever imagine that if I told you what it was, it would ruin some of the magic. But he's got some fight scenes that are ridiculous. Are there an infinite number of universes then in which this film is really bad? Theoretically, by the rules of its multiverse... You start at the point of, say, the director's being born, and any divergent path they could take could create a universe, theoretically, where the film is really bad. But that would be a really, really long branch away because it's a great film. (laughs) (laughs) Had you seen Michelle Yeoh in many other things? Have you watched her in the Hong Kong stuff, like Jackie Chan things she was in? I know her a lot by reputation. And everything I've seen her in, she's usually one of the best things in it. She was in that Bond film, wasn't she? That was otherwise yes. terrible. Tomorrow Never Dies? Tomorrow Never Dies, yeah. Yeah, that kind of got her into Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And again, some of the reviews I've read of this have said, even since then, Hollywood hasn't quite realised what they've got with her. And she's either been someone who's good at fighting, or she's been a matriarch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is both of those things, but she is many, many, many other things besides does it sustain the invention all the way through because i've seen these sort of films in the past where there's that big explosion of invention that is a really good idea but then it struggles to sustain that idea for a feature length film is that when there's one unique concept it's like a gimmick and i think this Mm. is a you could say this is a gimmick film in that the gimmick is that there's an infinite number of versions of the characters and things like that and I know the sort of films you mean. I can't yeah. think of any at the moment. But mm-hmm. yeah, there, there are ones where you go, we've got this fantastic idea. It happens in the first half an hour. And you think from the trailer, that's going to be the whole film. But actually, the two hours after that are just standard. This doesn't just sustain it. It exceeds it as it mm-hmm. goes on. Uh, there are sequences right at the end where you, you thought you'd reached the peak of inventiveness in cinema and then something else happens and then something else happens and then something else happens and it they just keep coming up with it it's astounding 
you are selling this pretty big, but I'm really pleased I, yeah. to hear it. I, want, I, mean, I would love I, to see before this. Before I went to see it, I had heard nothing but rave reviews about it. And sometimes, like Karis was saying, that hype is a little bit of a, ooh, I'm not sure. Everybody's raving about it. I'm not sure. It puts me off because it's just like a, an echo chamber. Yeah, you kind of doubt whether it's justified. But here it really is. I went in thinking, I haven't seen anything less than a five-star review for this film. Mm, is it really? And I came out going, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of which, in this corner of the multiverse, would uh, how many... Multiverses. Multiverses out of ten <laughs> would you give it? Because I need as many people as possible to take this recommendation seriously and go and see the movie and then go and recommend it to even more people, it gets the full ten multiverses <gasps> out of ten. Wow. Oh my God. Have we ever had a 10 before? I'm not sure. We, we've think... had some 10s before. No way. But this this is a 10 multiverses out of 10 film. Mm. Right. If you only go and see one multiverse film at the cinema, <laughs> go to this one. Does this mean that the podcast's finished? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've reached the peak. <laughs> it's all downhill from now. No, don't worry, because um, each episode we take our recommendations on average, so we have to balance the scores out okay. with like a cumulative score. And I have a feeling that one of our recommendations today might just lower the average a little bit. What makes so, you say that? <laughs> <laughs> that might be. I, I mean, I don't know, but John is on the podcast this week. Should I go and see the film in an independent cinema? Or should I go to a multiplex? A uh, multiplex. You see the uh, multi. Because it's multi. yeah, it's, I see. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the question it, it, seriously. It, 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 sounds, it sounds like multiverse, but it's plex. Yeah, no, I get it. It's, yeah. it's, it's really clever. I, I think it gets funnier as you explain yeah. it. Do it want to just make it a little bit clearer for me? I would like to go and see it in a multiplex where it's shown in each screen, but it's just slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> so, Peter, um, I'm going to regret this. <laughs> is your recommendation going to take us boldly where no man has gone before? Mine is the latest in Star Trek, which is Strange New Worlds. The latest in a long line of spin-off shows from the original series. There was a bit of a lull for a decade or so, then it all sprang back into life, and the last few years have brought the rather disappointing discovery, hampered by the dullest lead character in the world... Picard, which was an unexpected surprise at how sweet it was to see some old friends again. And we also have Below Decks, a sweary animated series, and a kids show in development. So this is the Enterprise just before Captain Kirk, with Captain Pike, played by Anson Mount, his female first officer, played by Rebecca Romain, and a new version of Spock, played by Ethan Peck. We met this time-travelling crew in the second season of Discovery. I really loved the way it seemed to kick the whole show back to its roots, Anson Mount played Pike in a thigh-slapping, almost panto way. You felt here was a captain you could believe in, and the crew would risk their lives for. It was an enormous contrast to the miserable, worthy character Discovery was based around. Here we see them back in their own century, along with a few other familiar names such as Uhura, and a rather edgier take on Nurse Chapel. I've only seen the pilot episode so far, but it ends with mention that we're about to meet their new Lieutenant Kirk, who will not be what you're expecting. The audience know the grisly fate that will befall Captain Pike, so the show has made him haunted by a vision of his burned body to mirror this. Would I only know the grisly fate if I had seen the J.J. Abrams film, or would I need to, to have watched the original series to know the grisly fate? It's original fate. Trek, how he turns up in episode two of yeah, the I, very original series. I don't know his grisly fate then. Basically, he turns up in a wheelchair with a very burned body because they couldn't get the actor 
who played it in the pilot. And what they would did is they used parts of the pilot that they shot. Is this the thing the Futurama parodies where there's a trial and a guy comes in in a big box and he can only yes. talk by beeping? Almost certainly. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. right. Well, yeah, yeah. now so I understand that reference. Essentially, they got someone else <laughs> and covered them in makeup, so you couldn't right. tell it wasn't the same person. And then they made a cheap episode by just cutting most of that up and sticking the new crew around it. Okay. I wondered how they'd handle the look of the ship, so it'd be familiar from the old series, but doesn't look too old-fashioned for audiences coming to it and new. And it is an odd mix, with futuristic displays on the bridge, but retaining some key elements like the big, boxy captain's chair, and all the portable technology like phasers, tricorders and communicators still look quite retro like they came out of the original series. We appear to be going back to basics, with more of an emphasis on story of the week shows, rather than being entirely arc plots. It's a bit early to tell whether it will recapture that gung-ho spirit that I loved so much, but I really hope so. They're in a simpler, more idealistic time, where the various peoples of Earth and hundreds of other planets have learned how to coexist peacefully with each other. And that seems to be an example the world desperately needs right now. The show launched in the US on 5th of May, but it'll come to the UK on June 22nd on a new Paramount Plus channel. Is the Paramount channel going to be a channel here, or is it going to be its own streaming service like in the US? Or are they doing like they did with Peacock and just adding it to Now TV? So you can have it on its own as a streaming service for, I think, four or five pounds a month. But if you have Sky Cinema, then it comes as a freebie with Sky Cinema. Uh, do we know what else it'll have on it, or is it all just Trek stuff? Lots of Star Trek stuff, I think. I don't know, know really much what else is on it. Has Strange New Worlds got the retro feel of classic Star Trek, or have they made it a bit modern by sneaking in the odd swear word and things like that? Not so much with the swear words. It's more, say, technologically, they've made it not look as old-fashioned as the old series would if you tried to put it on air now. Uh-huh. So, I mean, say if the bridge looked like it used to, that would feel horribly bare by modern standards. But it doesn't feel kitschy. Arguably, the mobile stuff does. But right. the, but they're, they're, generally, it's a reasonable balance. I mean, they're wearing bright, colourful suits. There's there's a degree of sort of naivety almost compared to some of the other series. Mm. Karis, have you ever watched a Star Trek episode in your life? Not once. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so is this one that people like Karis and... I mean, I've seen Next Generation and I've seen the J.J. Abrams films but that's pretty much it for me in Star Trek. Could we yeah. jump in and watch this not having seen everything? That is actually quite a good argument for this one, because with it being before Captain Kirk and all of that stuff, you literally don't need to know anything. Oh, that's great. That so would be a good starting point. Because <laughs> I know nothing. Yes. <laughs> You're the ideal candidate. Yeah. So it, it doesn't kind of assume that you would know what the Federation or Starfleet Academy or things that have been developed through the long, long, long story of Star Trek... It does explain these concepts. I think it will explain them as you come to them. I mean, you you come there with the Federation already there and things, and they Mm. talk about it almost like everyone in the room already knows what it is. Yeah, because they would. Yeah, Yeah. it's not a difficult concept to grasp. I mean, at the same time, I wouldn't want exposition dumps of, yeah, this is how we got exactly to this point. Mm -hmm. I did once go back to a guy's house, and there was a... A secret wardrobe <gasps> full of no. Star Trek DVDs, <laughs> videos, memorabilia. And it, How quickly did you leave? It was, it, it, the thing is, because it was hidden, that's why it was weird. He'd clearly thought he might get a chance of getting you to go back to his flats and <laughs> hid all his nerdery from you. I was taken off my coat and he said, I'll oh, just put it in that cupboard. And I opened oh, it. That and was he was his like, mistake. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> not oh, that cupboard. That, that's exactly what happened. And then that was, why would you hide it? 
like mm. that. Mm. Well, it, it didn't used to be a mark of pride to be really into Star Trek for a long time, did <laughs> I it? I don't recall it ever being a mark of pride I, for anyone, I, I, really. No, I mean, no, they're building streaming yeah. services around it now, yeah. so yeah. It, it must be but nerdy, more accepted than it used to be. He had everything. Everything? Yeah, everything. Did he take you to Warp Speed 9? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I think you're fine, John. After, after the events of season six of Next Generation, they're no longer allowed to go to Warp Nine because of the effects it would have on the wider. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sure there was a story then about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this uh, Star Trek was always the quintessential thing when you were portraying a geek or a nerd yeah, yeah, in anything else mm. it was oh look they're arguing about whether picard's better than kirk or something like that so is this the kind of show that's going to appeal to the people depicted like that or is it going to appeal to the people who used to make fun of the people like that but now quite like geeky things because marvel and star wars are big it's certainly an attempt to find a broader audience mm-hmm. and make it more generally appeal yeah and not mm-hmm. be too nerdy and be you know i was saying this sort of panto thigh slapping sort of you know mm-hmm. it's quite easy to grasp yeah. what people's motivations are what they're trying to do and you don't need complex backstory mm-hmm. for that uh, other things you will be getting on the paramount channel are the man who fell to earth the new series oh, of yeah. that oh, yeah. which i've seen about 15 minutes of but really i'm looking forward to seeing properly that, that the little teaser nice. i saw that was really really good uh, all of south park is going to be on there mm. The Offer, the film about the making, or the, the series about the making of The Godfather, which oh, has got yeah. some mixed reviews on there. A few other things that I'm not An aware offer of. you can't review. <laughs> Mayor of Kingstown, Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber, Halo as well is going to be on there, which... I've watched one episode and it was rubbish. Which I've been told is Power Rangers with blood. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, with my extensive Star Trek knowledge, how many tribbles out of 10 would you give it <laughs> they're a thing uh two two tribbles four four tri- eight oh. 16. Oh, i Very see two. i understand how, how many of them let the record state that karis is doing the spot hand thingy that probably has a name did someone show you that in their wardrobe no <laughs> no i just know it i mean if he could do that then there might be there might be a reason to stay <laughs> Let the record show that John did a completely different hand piggy. (laughs) Whilst raising his eyebrows. (laughs) So, John, I think it's time to bring the average count of recommendations down for this episode. What have you got? You just assume this isn't going to be a recommendation, don't you? Well, I know what you're going to talk about, so... (laughs) It might have surprised you, but... I watched Morbius... I'm very sorry. I know it's. Um, um, I know you guys like to make notes, and I don't always. But I made some notes whilst I was watching it. I'll just, I'll just read them out to you. <laughs> like stream okay. of consciousness style. <sighs> For fuck's sake! Five minutes. What? No! 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 Oh fuck! Oh god! There's an hour to go. Oh fuck! What the? <sighs> snore, snore. Credits. Ooh, ooh! There's a credit cookie. Oh. That's my notes. That's great. So don't want, need to watch it now. No, um, it's basically it's um, part of Sony's attempt to build up the Sony Spider Verse universe. The Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters, or Spunk. Spunk. What? <laughs> so we have the second tier Spider-Man characters that Sony have the rights to that they are trying to create their rival cinematic universe. 
We've got a Craven movie on the way. We've had two Venom movies, the first of which I think I was alone in quite liking, but really I, that, hated I didn't the mind second. elements of it. But I didn't hate it as mm. much as everyone else, but yeah, it wasn't a good film overall. Mm-hmm. And the most recent, starring everyone's favourite shithead, <laughs> Jared Leto. Oh, Jared. Oh, Jared. Poor Jared. Mm. No. Mm. What? Not, not poor Jared. sympathise with him. <laughs> That's what he wants. He's got lovely hair. So we... <laughs> You've never shook your head at me before, Dan. <laughs> you won't accept even you've, that. You've got, to, you've got to look past the hair to the insufferable method actor beneath it. Mm. So, so, so we open with Dr. Stephen, not Dr. Stephen Strange, no, a different doctor. You see, Dr. Michael Mobius, I believe he's called. I think it's probably Morbius. No, 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 he's he stripped. Oh, oh. Doctor, Fell right into that one. <laughs> Doctor Michael. That's, that's great. Doctor Michael Morbius, coming out of a helicopter on crutches, walking very unconvincingly, almost as if the actor Jared Leto didn't really need crutches. Well, I do believe that on the set he used the crutches the entire time to the point it was holding up production because he insisted when he went for toilet breaks on walking on the crutches to and from the cast and crew toilets. They eventually had to compromise with him by getting a wheelchair and somebody would wheel him to and from the toilets so they didn't lose hours of the film because he wouldn't get off the crutches. That is the most Eric Cartman thing I've ever heard. Right, so there's three scenes in the first 20 minutes of the film probably totaling less than a minute and a half of screen time where Jared Leto is walking around on crutches. Cool. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's not like this is a major plot point. Um, but we, we start with Dr. Michael Manlight Mabine, <laughs> who... Um, that was very good. He's <laughs> in some Eastern European country where he lures some vampire bats out using some blood on his hand to catch them in a little cage. We then get John's favourite... 25 years earlier. Oh. oh. And then you've got a kid on crutches who's A, a better actor than Jared Leto, and B, I guess he was less of a <laughs> on set. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wheeled him to the toilet on crutches, no. And it's him and his best friend who both have this terrible rare condition, which is they're not really... Twats. They're both twats. <laughs> um, which is not really explained, but it's something to do with blood. And unless they put some fresh blood in their veins every three hours, they will die. And even if they do do that, they will have a very limited life expectancy. They must never get a good sleep. No. I'm going to wake up every three hours yeah. to get blood. Mm. It's exhausting. It yeah. is, yeah. Mm. I suppose you get used to it. That would explain the drawing on bags under their eyes. Mm. Blood bags. <laughs> oh. And their father figure is played by Jared Harris in a completely wasted, underwritten... Oh. Role where he really but he's has, a good actor. He's a good actor, and he's funny in the bits he's in there. But it's not; he doesn't really get to do much. And they go, "I'll look after you" in a slightly creepy way, mm. considering they're not really his children. Um, Michael Moore gets sent off to America, <laughs> where <laughs> he then becomes an expert in blood conditions and turns down the Nobel Prize because that's the sort of crazy character he is you don't get to see him turn down the Nobel Prize you get to see him stand up and then it cuts to a thing saying he turns down the Nobel Prize in a way that suggests maybe they wrote something that didn't work so they yeah. just stitched it out and put a newspaper can headline can you turn in down it? a Nobel Prize I know they can be awarded to people who don't bother to turn up I think Bob Dylan Bob Dylan didn't turn up didn't turn up but I don't think you can turn it down I think mm-hmm. it just goes in the record that you won one yeah Why would- yeah it comes with prize money why would yeah. you that was what they said they needed it for the hospital but they turned it down 
Oh, that's sad. That's really awful. Is this before he's a vampire? This is before he's a vampire. Um, And he has a little sexy nurse. nurse, No, no, she's a doctor because they keep calling her nurse and she keeps correcting them and saying, I'm a doctor. Oh, female representation. Women can be doctors, Peter. What's your problem? (laughs) (laughs) And then she has to keep turning on going, actually, I'm a doctor. And then rolls of eyes. She a vampire. I generally don't know by the end of the film. When do the, when do the vampires come in? Okay, so he um, he's discovered that he can take these vampire bats, tear them apart, pull a little bit outside of them, inject them into him, and then Mickey Mouse gets cured and becomes uh, <laughs> uh, suddenly very strong. The, the Peter Parker, you know, he goes to bed like a weakling and then he wakes up, he's like flexing himself. And goes, oh my God, you know, I've had the, the, the Marvel workout overnight, the, the steroids and eggs combo. But with this also comes an insatiable taste for blood. 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 Human blood. But if he has human blood, he turns into a monster. I thought you were going to say a bat. No, I don't don't know. Is he a bat man? I I know exactly what his powers are and what his abilities are because there's a five-minute sequence where because he is a doctor, he has a dictaphone where he talks into and you get talking to the dictaphone going... Well, amazingly, I am very strong. I can also walk up walls. Oh, I see. But if I listen very clearly, it appears I have some kind of um, radar echo sound system. It's, uh, and again, you can tell this film has been fucked around with reshot and then edited to foot of its life because of the number of little voiceover scenes and very close-up scenes where an important plot point is tried to be explained. He actually became a dictaphone he had, for three yeah. weeks in preparation mm-hmm. for that scene. Jared Leto putting the dick in dictaphone. <laughs> But the, it's really inconsistent what his powers are and what level of control he has over them. From scene to scene, he's either a very nice doctor who saved the world or is a bit of an ass to his girlfriend or is suddenly very angry. And it's not, there's no real consistency. Mm. And the same thing for his best friend Milo, his childhood friend, played by Matt Smith, who is the only bit of fun in the entire movie. I wasn't sold in his character at the beginning because I thought he's playing a pantomime character, but he's really having fun. He's swirling and dancing and cackling. But even then, his characterization is all over the place because apparently these people have been best friends for 35, 40 years now. And suddenly they have one argument and the guy in checks the serum and then goes insane. Similar to like the Incredible Hulk film with the Abomination, who is a mirror image who can't control it. Mm. And then there is a battle to try and stop Matt Smith. A battle that is consistent. From with- making another movie. From making. Because he always picks terrible <laughs> he, movies, know, unfortunately. He, yeah. yeah. I love Matt Smith. Mm. He doesn't deserve the movie. My favourite Doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To date. Yeah, top three. There's a subplot where they think that Mad Max is the murderer of various people, and in fact it's Matt Smith, and the police chase him around and things like that. Um, But the main thing is just bad CGI blurry battles. So even when you've got actors like Matt Smith, and if if you think Jared Leto is an actor, then, you know, he's he's technically an actor, but he kind of moked. But they randomly superimposed terrible CGI-type vampire features over the top of them that make them look a little bit like Voldemort Mm. and takes any nuance or anything out of their expression. And one of the major plot points coming towards, I'm going to spoil it because nobody gives a shit. I think they spoiled it themselves. (laughs) Yeah, by making it. The plot point is that he has this artificial human blood that sates his desires, but only for six hours. But the window of its effectiveness is decreasing. So by the work towards the end of the film, he has to take it every four hours and 22 minutes, a surprisingly exact number. And only red blood can sate him, which is human blood. And if he has the human blood, he'll become the monster and he'll kill people. 
So what he's going to do is he makes Swazian these two vials which contain a thing that will kill you, kill the, kill the vampire. And he has one for Matt Smith and one for himself. Does a comedy mix-up ensue? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're both the same. They both go, I made two of these and she's got, his girlfriend's going, my God, you're going to use one of them and then what are you going to do with the other ones? I can't be alive because by this time tomorrow I will have had to drink the blood and I will, I will never kill again and I will have to kill myself. And that's all built up. And then it's just, doesn't happen. He kills Matt Smith and some bats appear out of nowhere. He goes like, ooh, and thousands of bats fly around him and he goes, flies off. And then we get a credit scene, which makes no sense whatsoever. And that's the end of it. Hmm. Does the credit scene imply they are hoping there'll be another film? I, I've heard about the credit scenes and I think they're hoping they might get a certain spidered man oh, to be okay. in their films. Mm-hmm. So the credit scenes have this big review where there's a big flash and then into a cell appears the MCU version of the Vulture, played by Michael Keaton, okay. suggesting that he's transferred dimensions as a result of the happenings in Spider-Man No Way Home, which is not how the multiverse worked or the spell of anything worked in No Way Home, so there's no rational reason for that to happen. But you're all supposed to go, oh my God, it's Michael Keaton, he's the vulture. Wow, there are going to be some crossovers. This was spoiled by the fact that Michael Keaton was in the trailer. Mm. In a scene that's not in the film. This is why I don't do trailers anymore. Yeah. This is why you shouldn't do Morbius anymore. (laughs) But there's a suggestion that the Craven and... Madame Webb? No, Morbius. Are going to form part of the Sinister Six together in some strange alt-universe version, say that they should team up to fight Spider-Man. And this is part of the whole conceptual problem with Spunk, in that <laughs> all of the characters they're picking are villains, but they've got to be the protagonists of their films, so you've got to try and make them kind of likeable, yeah. but you also need them to be the baddies because you want them to fight Spider-Man eventually. Mm-hmm. So none of them work because they're trying to be the bad guy and the good guy at the same time. Yeah, And I know, Karis, you, when you were talking about Killing Eve, you liked mm-hmm. complexity of people who were a bit bad and a bit good. But, but that's I don't, a lot it sounds like the execution of these guys is not on the Killing Eve level. No, I mean, execution would be the best thing for all involved. <laughs> yeah. Matt Smith, as I say, has a lot of fun in the role. He's twirling and cackling and all that kind of things, and I enjoyed that. But other than that, it's completely, utterly drained of any element of humour whatsoever, apart from two scenes where suddenly he's quipping and making wisecracks and being mm. funny, which were obviously the result of studio notes because they're lit completely differently. There's one bit where he's uh, chained up. He asks for some food, they refuse some food, and he goes, oh, but I'm getting hungry, and you won't like me when I'm hungry. Oh. That's the joke in the film. So it sounds like you enjoyed it then. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, how many annoying method actors out of 10 would you give it? Well, there's only, as far as I'm aware, one annoying method actor in the film, and that's also a very good score for the film. Oh, dear. We've, we've run the gamut then from 1 to 10 today. Yeah. Don't go in thinking there'll be something in there to keep you entertained. There won't. It's just bad and dull and a mess. Sounds great. So that's the end of another episode. We've had a great time. If you've enjoyed listening to us, find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, The Royal Mail. I don't think we're on Instagram, John. 
We are, are we on Instagram? We, we, are, we are on Instagram no. because we posted on Instagram at the pub quiz. Have you got the access to the Instagram then? Apparently so. All right, okay. I have no cool. recollection of doing <laughs> I it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, DHL, um, you can send us a message via Hermes or Yodel <laughs> if you don't want us to get it. Um, but if you do send us a message as a special lovely treat, Daniel, what will you do for us? Morbius. You'll do Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Karis, <laughs> what would you do? I will go over to your house and feed you popcorn. Ooh. Sweet, salted or mixed? Mixed. Correct answer. It would be nice. It does sound nice. Mm. Nice time. Just average. Whilst watching Morbius. Whilst watching Morbius. Oh, now you spoiled it. So the popcorn will be really nice. The film will be Morbius. So it will be an average night overall. I'll talk throughout the whole thing about how much I love Matt Smith. I think that'll probably help. Yeah. He's so lovely. He is, but he makes terrible films. But I can forgive him for that. I, I think that he and I would be very good friends. Well, if you know Matt Smith, <laughs> <laughs> um, then, then you know, you, you've got a good chance to get the restraining order in before Kevis finds him. Oh. <laughs> I did hear he's got a wardrobe full of Star Trek videos, though. <laughs> That's how I know. <laughs> okay, so you have been listening to... A woman who has run off to Paris to prance around in a pink dress and become an assassin. A man who's doing his best to be updated for modern audiences. A man who's hoping for short round spin-off. And a man who is waiting for Kiris to leave so he can take all his Star Trek toys out of his cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> Bye! Bye! Bye. I lasted 20 oh. minutes of La La Land. I hate, I did really? Like La La Land. Mm-hmm. I, I was quite enjoying it up until... Do you remember my Room 101 about endings where they should be together, but they can't be together for some stupid reason? La La Land's one of them. It does that. <laughs> so it got right to the end. It's like, yep, yeah, no, done, ruined. I love that about you because just, I just didn't think just you were going to go there. Just happy. They were getting there. But you know what? Sometimes love is not being together for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know that's what it's like in real life but this is the cinema into a pillow, maybe. <laughs> this is cinema um, it's not real life I thought it was quite beautiful the message of go follow your dream because that's more important than this relationship you can have both just let them be happy why couldn't they have both that wasn't really clear was it no <laughs> it was very much you can have that or that don't, don't even that, try and have is both is that what it upset you more that there wasn't a clear reason why they couldn't be together. Well, I think it was more the fact it was sold as an old school Hollywood golden agey musical. Mm-hmm. They tend to have happy endings. And then mm-hmm. it goes, ah, classic Hollywood musical, classic Hollywood musical, bad ending. Even Les Mis, they all die at the end, but it's still a happy ending. <laughs> but you're kind <laughs> of expecting it with those. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. In, it's in the title. Uh-huh. What did you think of Les Mis, John? I've never seen it all the way through. I've seen Russell Crowe sing it, and I'm like, I'm not going to watch any more of that. That's my Russell Crowe. Sorry. It... What the fuck? That, that was uh, Anne Hathaway. That was Anne Hathaway. <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought he looked odd. <laughs>